good evening, wherever and whenever you may be, and welcome to episode 22 of the Fade to Black podcast. I'm Clarice Lockery. I'm a mon woman. And I'm Hannah Flint. This week, we're dying to save the world with James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. We'll be your skippers, alligator wrestlers, and swimming instructors <laughs> as we take a ride on the world-famous Jungle Cruise. I know so many of the Jungle Cruise jokes, so I'm sorry if there are many in this podcast. <laughs> and last but not least, we're stuck in limbo with Ben Sherrick's Scotland-bound comedy drama. We also have a special chat with Janixa Bravo, the director and co-writer of Sundance favorite Zola. Plus, this week's hot take, we talk LGBTQ representation in Disney films. Why do they continue to fall so behind the other studios? Pourquoi? But uh, yeah, let's start off the chat. I just want to say before we start two things. <laughs> First, I want to apologize if you hear any banging during this podcast. Uh, it's me. <laughs> I, I it's the very... telltale heart. <laughs> it is the telltale heart. I am being tortured by the guilt of the person I murdered. But I just have very old sash windows in my flat and it's very windy outside and I just can't do anything about it. I apologize. <laughs> and the second thing I just want to say, I want to send all of our love to Bob Odenkirk. Uh, yeah. I hope that he's recovering well. We love you, sir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we are all thinking of you. Yeah. Uh, not that he's he's obviously not listening to this podcast, but I'm just <laughs> I'm just sending the energy out. You there don't know that, Clarice, okay? He's, like he's so beloved <laughs> and the news had me so worried and I'm so glad that he yeah. is doing better. Yeah. But uh yeah, how has has everyone been this week? I've been doing a lot better than Disney. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my god, the drama. If you don't know what we're talking about, uh, uh Scarlett Johansson has decided to sue Disney for breach of contract for releasing Black Widow simultaneously in theatres and on Disney Plus. She's not happy. And I think it's really funny that when she um, <laughs> when she said in an interview, it's like, are you coming back? She's like, no, I'm done. And it's like, yeah, she really <laughs> is. <laughs> yeah, no coming back from that. But, you know, good for, good for her. Like, she, you know, should be uh, paid what she is owed. And if the reporting is true and that when... Uh, she was uh, trying to renegotiate the contract in the wake of Disney's decision was streaming that they just ignored that and didn't do that, then that's not on. And, you know, regardless of sort of how rich she is and you know, how much money already she's been paid and what have you, um, the contract is a contract. And if Disney are in breach of that, then she should be doing everything she's doing to get that money. Exactly. It's a multi-billionaire, I mean, look, it's a multi-billion dollar corporation and I think Scott Johansson is someone who has, you know, sure, she's got a lot of money and whether you like her or not, that's beside the point. It's like, what does this represent? This represents artists versus big companies and this can manifest, uh, you know, trickle down. What if you don't have Scarlett's resources? You're unable to do that. So fundamentally, this is a contract dispute issue. Take all the kind of big names and stuff out of it. That's the way it, that's the way it works. And that, And I think this is... It's important that we respect that, especially, you know, again, she's a bit of a white feminist, but she's still getting paid less than all of her bros, Avengers mm-hmm. bros, uh, for doing the same amount of work, if yeah. not more so. But I, I have a question for you, Hannah and Clarice. How much have you said and or thought of Father, Son and House of Gucci 
of the last couple of days. Father, <laughs> Son, and House of Gucci. I haven't actually watched the trailer yet. Oh, yeah, it was trailer. <laughs> it was that, is what I just did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, okay. Lady Gaga. I uh, can't, I, you know what, I kind of, because I'm trying to minimize how much time I spend on social media. I did get the email, but... Is, why is why was Jared Leto trend, trending? Is it because he looks like he's done a massive change? <sighs> that is one of the questions of the day. Um, yeah, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I would love to know the answer to that, but it's really weird. Like, and honestly, just between that and between Black Widow, can we can we normalize having Russians playing Russian characters and having Italians play Italian characters and having? People, you know, I mean, what do you mean, me? Stephanie Germanato? She is Italian. <laughs> she is an Italian. I am an Italian. No, she no. says that she's, she's Ita- an Italian. Why are you taking woman. away? Don't steal her, her Italian heritage. Look, this is there she's are only Italian so many diaspora. Bad accents my ears can take. Is all I'm she's saying. Italian diaspora, and we should not minimize that. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not saying her specifically. I just say in, in like I think. House but of you seem has... to forget who's making this movie. It's Ridley Scott, the man who made what's it? Gods and monster. What is it? Gods and kings. Exodus. Gods of gods and kings. Where it had yeah. Joel Edgerton and Christian Bale playing yeah, yeah. Egyptian <laughs> <laughs> characters. Oh, yeah, like yeah. it's that dude. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm just saying, you know, two Italians in the movie about. In the movie that's called House of Gucci, it's probably not the right way to go. I'm just saying. I love that now our representation's got to the point where it's like, no, only the right white people can play these white people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we're going to have white people play these, at least, you know, give them accent coaches and you know, make sure that they're doing the work. Because, again... I mean, I'm gonna have to watch this trailer because I can't. <laughs> well, look, I will contest this slightly. Have you seen the the clips of the actual? I'm sorry, is it Patricia Rigazzi, the woman that uh, Lady Gaga is playing? Have you watched the interview clips? Because like the accent is not that far off. Okay, it's pretty yeah. close. <laughs> also, I'm, I've heard that the the Gucci. Gucci family are not all happy <laughs> yeah. with this adaptation. Oh, of um, course not. Because it's no. about murder and it's going to yeah. make them look super scandalous. Um, but don't have murders in your family if you don't want <laughs> somebody to make a movie about it. Don't be Gucci. Don't <laughs> you be don't want somebody to no, make a I movie think it... about Gucci. <laughs> But isn't it isn't it kind of it's very recent history, obviously. It's only what, the eighties or something. And and I think we've had this conversation of before when it comes to biopics that involve quite traumatic events. Um mm. so I do think I think it I think it is fair to for them to question how that's gonna be sensationalized. Um, and how that's committed. I, I thought it was interesting. Um, and I think about this now because I, I don't know if you've all seen the thread that Amanda Knox has just posted yep. about um, Stillwater, mm-hmm. uh, the film. And I really recommend everyone go find Amanda Knox's Twitter feed and read that thread. I'm not going to lie. I felt very relieved that I didn't once reference <laughs> uh, Amanda Knox or the saga within the Time Out review that I wrote. I mean, it was only 250 words, but mm. I think I could have easily. But I think it was really interesting about how, you know, it's been billed and in interviews, Tom McCarthy said this is, I mean, obviously we've got a, we haven't done our Silver Water review yet, no, have we? Yet. We've got to do that in a week, so I'm going to it. But 
when you present this story to the world and a fictionalized version of real life events that focus on something that has actually in a court of law been proven that she's not she's not actually she's an innocent bystander within it now people are going to see this see that this relates and is associated with her name and therefore it perpetuates false information and false narratives about it so as much as you know we can joke about i do think there is a legitimate cause for concern as we saw with Green Book, as we've seen with other things where people are talking about real life people and suddenly cinema becomes the new kind of testimony to their lives or testimony to that history. Um, so I do think that's a fair thing. So, um, yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's the difference about whether they're upset about the movie because it's inaccurate or whether they're upset about the movie because it's going to remind everybody that this event happened because like mm -hmm. not everybody knows that this is part of gucci history and they're worried it's going to affect their brand like yeah. i think that's why i'm a little bit more like mm, are they actually upset about the the misrepresentation or are they just thinking about the oh no one's gonna buy our new alessandro michele collection because they're gonna think about murder when they see gucci i monogram. just think the world is far too uh got far too much cognitive dissonance to allow that to affect them the fact that people still listen to r kelly uh michael jackson and all these things watch all these movies when people have done terrible shit so i <laughs> i i do not have enough faith in the world that they'll go away and say god i can't buy gucci the murder brand <laughs> Look, Hannah, speak for yourself. I, you know, I was, I was going to go shopping later today to get some Gucci stuff, but now I come, I'm, I'm having second thoughts. So, yeah. <laughs> I'll just buy fake Gucci. <laughs> it's, it's called, it's called Gucci. <laughs> oh dear. Got it. It has been quite a massive week, though. Sorry, it's been like, oh, it's like I wish we, we should just do a whole episode that's pure hot takes. <laughs> <laughs> But before we dive into the reviews, Hannah, do you want to tell us tell us about this great interview that everyone's about to listen to? Yes. So um, as mentioned, I caught up with Janixa Bravo at Picturehouse Central this morning, actually in London. So um, you'll get. I, I love that we've already introduced sound effects on this. <laughs> podcast you're going to hear some sound effects during this interview because I think that's like building work's gone on and you know we were just kind of sharing this like mic together but it was a really interesting conversation because you know I I hate to say we didn't we I mean it's about 25 minutes long so it's quite long but we spent a lot of it talking about her her career her mindset as a director talking about the hype because obviously this came out in you know Sundance a couple of years ago it's been on this massive right. journey but what I also really found was interesting was you know I think this is a film that we're going to re review next week but it's a film that deals with the representation of female friendship but also there's a really interesting discussion we had about female bodies and like nudity and and, and I really relish that conversation um but I just want to add and this is my mistake I do refer uh, to filmmaker Joey um, Soloway as um, Jill Soloway. I was totally unaware that um, they um, came out as non-binary last year. They changed their names and their pronouns. So I really just want to apologise for my error there. Um, I, I, it's not something that I could really cut up because it was a engaging conversation. Actually, I, you know, Jinix is the one who, who actually made sure to say, actually, they're Joey now. So I appreciate that. But I just want to, anyone listening... Apologies for that. And I hope you, yeah, really enjoyed this conversation we had. Uh, Janix Abrava, thank you so much for being on the Face of Black podcast. And we are here in live in person at Picturehouse Central, which is an absolute joy. Have you had a good deal of um, in-person interviews this year? 
Oh no, I've been doing Zoom a lot, and this is like I'm very. I'm hoping my laptop doesn't suddenly kaput on me, but, but it should be fine. But yeah, so you? am I your first? It's my first in person. Wow, yeah. how thrilling! I know it's so exciting. It's nice because I just feel like there's this there's a nice rapport you get when you actually have, can look someone in the eye and not kind of like worried about people in the background or anything like that. And also my my flat at home is just uh, just. Uh, like a kind of like hobbit little hole, hole so it's kind of like me like what's the background here's some dvds don't look at the rest of it but now we've got this nice lovely background yeah <laughs> absolutely it's um you i think the thing that's great is that in not being in our own spaces it allows us to be more fully engaged mm-hmm. right or to be less distracted by the environment that we're in um but i also feel i can't help but think how wild that we haven't had this mm. and then the reason that we haven't had it yeah and so then there's also like this little bit of terror that's in the air too of the potency of bringing two people together yeah in this world right now yeah you know yeah i feel like definitely feel i know we we're like like opened up but I, I was like, I'm too jabbed. I was like, I'll get my test this morning. I've still got my mask on. I'm very aware that, oh, God, I don't want to risk passing something on to someone else. I just think it's getting used to this new normal now. But I'm hoping... Yes. I'm hoping, actually, you know, this... It does open up and we can do this. Because it is so nice to bring to bring people together. And, you know, nice to travel and get out of your flats. <laughs> I mean, I'm in London, right? Yeah. So I... I didn't care that I had to quarantine. I had to leave America so badly. <laughs> so badly. Because I hadn't been... I made this movie in 2018. Yeah, this is so must be so weird for you that you're still talking about this film. <laughs> yes and no. In that I... It's lived so close to me. And there was the expectation that I was going to be... And then I wasn't, right? And then I didn't because, well, we all had the same last year that, um, that I've, everyone's had the same last year. Yeah. Uh, but I, I just thought that, you know, it was going to go different, like a lot of us mm. had thought. Um, and I'd already had some version of quarantining where I worked on, I shot the film in 2018, I shot, I edited the movie in 2019 in my house with my editor Mm. and the two of us spent like six straight months together then took some time off and then did another like two to three months like scattered Mm. and in those six months though we lived basically in my house together alone and really neither of us socialized we only saw my boyfriend sometimes and God, you're in your own little lockdown. <laughs> yeah, so we'd already done that. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> not again. No, not again. We can't. <laughs> and also, to, and I hadn't been on this holiday because I was like, I can, I will have earned the holiday when the movie comes out. Yeah. And so I'd had this thought, you know, I shot the movie in 2018. And I'm thinking like 2020, after the movie comes out, I will gift myself this two, three week holiday. And then it just, it just, it just, it just. And here we are. Right. And I was like, I'm only here for 10 days, five of which are quarantined. I don't care. I just have to get on a plane and go somewhere. Yeah. I just have to leave the United States. I have to use a passport. Like, I just have to get <laughs> out because I feel that I've been in some kind of purgatory. Yeah. You know, so I must go. Absolutely. And I think what's so interesting, though, I, I mean, I remember the buzz for this. I mean, one, I remember this specific tweet, the story, hashtag, 
and and seeing I'm feeling very jealous of all the critics that saw it at Sundance so long ago. And what's interesting is seeing how much I suppose considering it started off on social media, seeing the response and people is has it been interesting to you to see how how it's played out on social media? People kind of re, I mean it got everyone loved it pretty much. So has it been interesting to see that um, how it kind of comes up in up and down with people talking about it and. I suppose in a way as well, like having this own discourse going online when it started as discourse. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not on Twitter. I am, I do have Instagram, so I have some sense of how the world has interacted with it. And and when I say the world, I also know that I'm talking about North America. <laughs> um, the world, North America. Um, just like an American, I've decided that I am the world. Um, I'm, I'm joking, but uh, I have some sense of it I can't dip too too hard or too heavy into that because I made a movie before Zola that I really thought would mark this kind of arrival for me and by that I mean I thought it would mean that it was clear that I was and you know a lane that I deserve to be in or a space yeah. that I deserve to be in and it would mean that I would get to make work and that it would be easier to get work made and that there would be this kind of reception around what I had intended and and it did not go the way that I thought it wouldn't. It was really heartbreaking. And so that Zola is loved is great and I'm aware of it, but I can't sit with that for too long because that's where we are right now. Mm. And I will make another movie and I hope that, you know, the, that I'm, I'm just headed in this sort of rise, but I'm also aware that that's just not how things yeah. go, right? And yeah. that there's, that sometimes you're in and sometimes you're not, and sometimes you're hot and sometimes you're not. And so I just have to kind of balance myself and be a bit on the outside of it. I can feel it and I'm excited and I really want people to see the movie, but I have to manage my own sense of what that means. Mm-hmm. And, and so I can't. I, I just don't, I try to not, I'm a little bit on the outside. I think, it, it, uh, I do you get what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Because in, in the, in, I don't, not, I can't start buying into it too. No. Like that's basically, as, as I think what I'm You're not a white man, you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, there's not, um, I don't, you don't have the luxury. I don't, I think being a woman of color, being a black woman specifically, I think history is shown in, cine, in cinema and filmmaking. I mean, it's interesting, you're not on Twitter, but there's been a whole debate play out about, like, the idea of a meritocracy, and it's like, that doesn't exist I, in <laughs> in the film industry at all. But I think it's important, I suppose it's a kind of, like, way, a good way to, like, check yourself, because you're only as good as your last movie, but you want obviously you want to have a career that lasts a long time. So if you're kind of at this point sucking it all, all in, it's like, is that going to, you know, is that going to dictate how you do your next project? Yeah, I just, I can't let it get in the way, right? Yeah. And I and, and I know that sounds kind of negative. I think I can, it is so positive. I talked to a stranger on Instagram for 45 minutes last night um, who is a white man, I think in his 40s or 50s, who is in, who's British, he's here, and he'd seen the movie on some press day, and he was so, like, warm and ecstatic and was like, this is your moment and you're on the rise and take it by the, and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But also I like can't handle that. Yeah. And like, 
but it was nice to be able to do that. I was like, for 45 minutes, I can allow myself this moment in the sun. Yeah. And then I got to put it away because it, it's just not useful. It is not useful to me. I, I can I can take 5 to 10% of it, you know, if I'm having a shit day. I can take a little <laughs> bit of that just to, like, remind myself. So yeah. Cared. Um, but then I just have to kind of move on because the road is still fucking long. Um, every room, I almost every single room that I walk into, I will have to start all over again. Mm. I will have to prove that I know words. I will have to prove <laughs> that I'm not a fucking idiot. Like, that is just a part of it, right? Yeah. Because um, I think some of this is also that I have worked in television as a director. And I have walked into a certain room being like, well, they know I directed one of the best episodes of Atlanta. No one knows that here. Oh, hey, Chris. <laughs> or I'll be like, well, everybody knows I've directed, like, Kate Blanchett. No one knows that. And no one gives a shit, and they're treating me badly. Like, that. I think I thought there would be, there were certain markers that have happened where I thought, okay, I'm going to be able to bring that into the room, and now people are going to treat me differently mm. because of this. You know, I, I made my, my second short film, won an award at Sundance, and I was like, I'm going to get to make my feature five years later. Yeah. You know, I just... Uh, so much of my path has been um, has been hurdles. <laughs> yeah. So I just uh, this is great. I'm really excited that people like this movie. I like that like you know Sony has brought me to London to talk about the movie, but I might make another movie that no one gives a shit about, and I I just have to kind of remind myself of that. I think maybe five movies from now, if you and I are talking again, I might be like a bit more comfortable. But yeah. I, it's hard to get comfortable. I, I, I think as I think there's that I, I think it's important to have that because I just think it makes you yeah definitely more switched on and attuned to what you need to do and actually understand I suppose it's that privilege as well kind of like you're doing something that not a lot of people can do but also like like you said it took five years so many times people underestimate how long it takes for projects to get off the ground even when you've made the best thing like you know, I think about like Mary Heron, who did American Psycho, which was just like, for me, it's like one of the greats. And then you see, well, what was the next film she made? Like, it's a difficult industry that still has gatekeepers. And so, yeah, but um, but let's let's talk about this. I love this film. What I loved about, I suppose what I love is it felt like this is a love story. It opened up as a love story between friends, girlfriends, and the way that you captured that at the beginning the we're between um Zola and Stephanie when they had this meet you I just I'd love to talk uh, tell me a bit about like how you're presenting I suppose this odyssey but also self, like looking at the intricacies of female friendships as well yeah I so you know the first the first tweet is you all want to hear a story about how me and this picture fell out and that spoke to 40 relationships I had had from the age of four until <laughs> a week ago. And that there had been so many women in my life who I had, and I can't say, I don't, do other women feel like this? I know some who do, and maybe, maybe some women have not had this work. But I have met a woman platonically, but it's also felt not exactly platonic, right? Like mm. there was this thing where the, love, the way that I loved them was so like fast and hard and strong. 
I wanted them to know every single story that I had <laughs> inside of me. I wanted them to wear all of my clothes. I wanted to wear all of their clothes. I thought we should sleep in a bed together, then wake up, have all of the food that we were going to eat that day <laughs> together. Yeah. Like, figure out how to time our bathroom breaks. Like, the, there's some, like, you know, when you have your period at the same time, yeah. you're like, wow, are we sisters? <laughs> yeah, like, there's just something that is about, like, there's a kind of symbiosis of looking into another woman's eyes. And maybe men feel this with each other, too, sometimes, but... I think the closest I've seen that is in Step Brothers. You know oh, that's when, funny. You know when it's like, did we just become best friends? Like that, the the immediacy of when it clicks, it clicks. And that's what I felt like seeing that as well. Yeah. It's like star-crossed, right? Yeah. I had described it to the girls, the girls being Taylor and Riley, um, because they kept laughing at this moment where they have to look into each other's eyes. They like couldn't keep a straight face. And... They're young enough that I was like, I know the movie to reference for them. I was like, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. We're at the party. It's the fish tank. (laughs) And then they both got it. And then they both were like, oh, it's the fish tank. I was like, one is Romeo, one is Juliet. You are star-crossed. Your eyes meet. And there's nobody that makes more sense to you than this person. Mm. And and then it it really opened up for them. And, And... they also became friends, and they have a good deal of chemistry, and I think all of that really shines, yeah. you know, in the film. Uh, and so that was that was kind of how, like, that was our entry point. But regarding movies where I had s- seen a version of this that I was really attracted to, and I still, the movie didn't go all the way there, but Robert Altman's Three Women, I think, is this really phenomenal movie about how women will want to be each other when they make the most sense to one another. And actually in this film, there isn't the symbiosis where both women necessarily meet each other. It's more about one's obsession with another. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's this like quality that that movie speaks to that I've just never seen expressed. Um, And, and I felt that's the thing that like leads us through, right? Like they actually spend more time out of love than they do in love. But, Mm -hmm. but that love that they have for those first 10 or 15 minutes 20 minutes is it makes so much sense right like the breakup is oftentimes harder than the like coming together and that's that is what that is it is a love story and I think I mean the moment she's just the way she articulates sis so the the kind of that bit and I think that's so I love those moments in the script where it's a specific I suppose it's would we say it's like this african-american vernacular english that's very much steeped in this script and especially for a character like stephanie who is the best like i I feel like it's such a realized version of this black-centered culture vulture and i suppose i I, it feels that you and jeremy harris like that was intrinsic to delivering that kind of message and solidifying these characters and who you are and i suppose i know that this started off as a script written by white men so I suppose how, what was your, I mean, I assume you read that script and I'd love to know the writing process of infusing in your version, this story you're telling, how is that process working with Jeremy and I suppose how did, did you want to stay away from what, you know, some white men clip, you know, or I think Taylor said in an interview for interview saying, when I saw that, it was, that the original script was written by white men, I was like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Um, no shade to those guys. I'm sure they tried their best, but 
I suppose, yeah, the writing process for you, working with Jeremy and making sure this felt like so authentically real to Zola's experience and what this kind of Odyssey road trip was like. You know, the original script kind of, in some ways, is a guide to, was a guide to what we wanted. And, and by that I mean, they, they used the Twitter thread as inspiration. It, they didn't stick to it mm. and um and they took some they took some big liberties um the couple of things that really stuck out for me about their script was there was a lot of lady nudity i think in the first 20 pages there have been four wow. full nude <laughs> scenes or at least what it you know what happens on the page is doesn't necessarily speak to what you're shooting but at least how it read on the page there are four moments of what sounded like full nudity mm. um you know tits and crotch and um and then the word nigga or nigger was in the script a lot also and i was like huh okay well yeah so in my adaptation, when Jeremy and I started writing, and he came to the table with a bunch of ideas, and I was like, "I, I, there's room for our thoughts on this, and I want that. Mm. But I was like, we have to go back to the text. It's all here. Twitter, that day, October 2015, what they got excited about was what was right here. Yeah. And so we have to think about this in terms of adaptation. We're both theater kids, right? So mm. if we're adopting Chekhov, we're adopting Strindberg, we're adapting Wilson, you know, Shakespeare, whatever the fuck, like some of the audience is coming with the book, you know, under their arm going, yeah. these are my favorite things. What did you take out? And, and the thing is, is that in adaptation, you can't always have everything, right? So yeah. I wanted to just be really clear why we weren't going to include something. But basically it was like, we have 148 tweets. Like we can include... 95% of it. There's no yeah. reason we can't, right? Unless it, like, just doesn't make sense or bumps into, like, our our ethos. But, like, let's try. And so we just kept going back to the script. The other thing was I'd already knew when I came, when we did our sort of first meet on it, I was, like, in a dead, the, the sort of first assignment was, like, what are the five things from the Twitter thread you definitely want in the movie? Like, no question. And then, like, what are your three kind of pieces of invention? And one of them for me, which I had used in my pitch for when I wanted the text, was that, like, there is no female nudity in the movie. I just am not really interested in that. And uh, some of that is my own prudishness. Um, the other thing was... I, I think that's such a powerful, um, rebellious thing. I, I, I think we that that's really important because it's how do we get the balance back of how women are presented, how men are presented. <laughs> I just think, you know, it, I think Jill Sol always say, like, if you had, if women were in charge of Hollywood for a hundred years and you have equality. And I think that's same with when it comes to, like, unity, how freely we just throw women But out. I don't think that's true. Well, I don't think if women were in charge of Hollywood, there would be equality. Because no, what yeah. group of women are in charge? No, exactly. It's not intersectional. So <laughs> yeah. it's like, I think, um, you know, that's like white feminism, right? Yeah. Or, and I'm not saying that, I don't know when, Jill is now Joey, and I don't know when Jill yeah. said that or when Joey said that. Um, but I, I get really, I, I just really hear it when we talk about like, and now it should all be women because I'm like, well, what women? Yeah. What color? Can you tell me about their color, please? What yeah. color are they? Um, are we also including trans women? You know, yeah. it's just like, what is the, what's the landscape on that? Yeah. What does that look like? Because oftentimes, 
when there are women at the table, it means that there are white women. And I, um, I don't know what you are culturally, but I'm assuming when you look at a white woman, you don't necessarily see yourself. I know that I don't. No. <laughs> you know? No. And I, th- I think in this film as well, like, especially the way, like, black women, women of color, especially, you know, East Asian, like, there's, there's definitely, again, with nudity, it's like the association of we're supposed to see, and especially because they're jocks, like, they're strippers, we should see them naked. And I think, I think that's what I suppose it's taking that back, taking back. I'm not even like gays. I feel like even having female, male gays, I think it's quite reductive. G-A-Z-E. Yeah. Gays. Sorry. G-A-Y-S. I was like, this is a podcast, so I don't know. Like, gays with a Z. Yeah. Sorry. Gays with a Z. But like, I think it's kind of, you know, I hate, I think kind of it's this binary of male female. I don't agree with that because I think it takes away like. The idea that women can have a desire or a gaze or want to see the female form. But I think I just wanted to, like, give you kudos for, like, actually doing it and showing, you know, a lot of dicks as well. Yeah, well, Some you great, know, I had only dicks. ever seen the penises that I had been with, right? And um, and I've seen a lot of vaginas, um, you know, I've watched pornography. I think I've also, I've seen penises and vaginas <laughs> in porn. And I just was... But in sort of coming up with this catalog, I remember talking about this with my DP, Ari Wagner, and my production designer, Katie Byron, um, where we were just like, when have we, we really haven't seen that many men naked in film. No. And, um, and whenever we do see men naked, outside of like, you know, the French have really figured something out. Like, yeah. And I don't know what their thing is, but they bring a kind of energy that, like, anybody can be naked and it feels fine. And it yeah, feels it's just like, we're just going to flop this on the yeah, table. And, and it's feels, like, whatever, it feels it's free <laughs> and it feels safe. But something that happens, like, in American work, like, where things always start to feel like there's no, like, consent feels in question immediately. As soon as I see a woman's tits, I'm like, what What happened? Is she yeah. okay? What yeah. are, how many people are in the room? I just start thinking about things that... I don't want to be thinking about while I'm watching a film. Yeah. And so we were just like having this exchange around how to, when we'd seen bodies, how to feel comfortable around bodies. And I think the things that are like the sexiest about both, both Taylor and Riley are stunning. Yeah. And, and they're, they're pretty exposed is the thing, right? Like their clothing is very small mm. and you're seeing plenty of parts of their bodies you know when taylor is dancing on the pole you're like i've seen almost every part of your anatomy in some way so she looks like an athlete i love that i love that and that was one of the things we talked about is treating it like it was sport right and being able to like emphasize the the that not everybody could do this because i think that sometimes in those spaces i don't know that those women are considered it's actually really hard to get on a pole. I don't know if you've ever tried it. I have tried it. It's quite I hard. did a thing after Hustlers came out um, for a, a promo thing, and I had bruises all down my legs. It's wild how hard no, it is. No, it's painful. It's yeah. really painful, and it requires like so much upper body strength and and also like core strength, and it's mm. really fucking hard. And I wanted it to look like it was hard, but also effortless for her. Yeah, and it did look for <laughs> <Fuck> her. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I need to know how long she spent on that beforehand to train because she just, it was in, it she was did so it for six weeks. It's just she's she's I mean, a dancer though, yeah. right? And I say though, meaning like that. It was but a really so hard six weeks for yeah, her. Yeah. Uh, but she came to the table having a dancer's like mind and spirit about it, which was radical because yeah. she could put in the six weeks and. There is no body double. She is doing <laughs> all of the fucking dancing. Yeah. I'm just 
the put that on her CV now she's like she can add it to her list of things I did say to her I was like you know if everything fails um if everything fails know that you have this as an option yeah exactly <laughs> I think the big what we can say is Brazil it's like one normalize that D um and also make pole dancing an Olympic sport I, that min there sounds great that's it Robert Dubois He's in prison for putting Superman in the ICU with a kryptonite bullet. I'm not joining your suicide squad. We'll see. My court date is coming up. And Miss Waller said maybe you could help me out. You're stretching in my door! Everyone stand down. Miss Waller, I don't- Stand down! I wouldn't take such extreme measures if this mission weren't more important than you could possibly imagine. Are you in or out? So that's it? What? Are we some kind of the Suicide Squad? <laughs> because we're talking about the Suicide Squad, the 2021 movie, not Suicide Squad, the 2016 movie, uh, which the less said about, uh, the better. Um, Can in- I just say, that has confused my family so much. <laughs> They've asked me about five times to be like, wait, so you're re-watching the old movie? Like, no, there's a new one. <laughs> <laughs> It's like it's like the reverse. Um, what's his face? Is it what's the guy in in the in the social network where Justin Timberlake's like lose the the oh, yeah. and this is like <laughs> add the the. <laughs> but add more because people do not understand what this movie is. <laughs> well, let me explain to you what the movie is. Uh, this movie. In this movie, the government sends the most dangerous supervillains in the world: Bloodsport, Peacemaker, King Shark, Harley Quinn, and others to the remote enemy-infused island of Corto Maltese. Armed with high-tech weapons, they trek through the dangerous jungle on a search-and-destroy mission with only Colonel Rick Flagg on the ground to make them behave. Uh, the film is directed by James Gunn and stars a million people, literally a million people, uh, including Margot Robbie, Idris Elba, John Cena, Joel Kinnaman, Sylvester Stallone, and Viola Davis, the Queen. Hannah. What are your thoughts on The Suicide Squad? Nom, nom, nom. Yummy, 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 yummy. There's a poster quote for all of you to use. (laughs) Yeah, you can. Do nom, 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 Hannah Flint, fade to black. Um, Oh, I I watched the original Suicide Squad the night before. And as I said on Twitter, the bar is literally in hell. So (laughs) it didn't really have to do much uh, for me to enjoy. But I you know, I relished it. I lapped it right up. I think um, what I enjoyed about it is the way that it introduced all these characters, so many, but it didn't get bogged down by the sheer number. I think it was really clever the way James Gunn introduced these also very ridiculous characters where it felt like you're getting something brand new. It felt, you know, a continuation of some of the, obviously we've got the characters from the original Suicide Squad, but then a new ones. But it wasn't. It didn't feel bloated. It didn't feel like we had too many people, too many cooks, too many people to contend with. Um, I think tone wise and eccentricity rock wise, it was more in keeping with Birds of Prey, which is really I really appreciate. And I think that's basically because you know, thank God Harley Quinn has become an, a kind of iconic figure in her own right. That in a way it felt it would be a very disservice, much of a disservice to her journey. And her characterization, if they ignore the, I don't know, yeah, the excess, the kookiness, the, the, the kinetic energy and color and tone and 
I don't know, violence of that film, because obviously that was, what was that? It's not, it wasn't a, it was a, it must have been an R or 15 at least. It was, it was a, a high, yeah. So it was kind of like, but this one kind of, mm-hmm. <laughs> it, I really appreciate the, how far it went into the R-rated status, status um, lots of swearing, so much blood. I think they allowed Viola Davis to show how much of an antagonist Amanda Waller is. I love that they gave her more, far more to do instead of being stuffy men. You kind of, it's situation her within a team who are kind of like your everyday person really showed you how evil she actually is. <laughs> it needed that because she didn't feel like the most, in the original, it's like, she, she's definitely not the most evil person in this room of mi- military men. <laughs> like <laughs> people, these are people who sent like done terrible things in the name of battle. Like, but she, it was really well done that. Um, I just thought it was, you know, boisterous, brazen. I just had so much fun. Um, I and I just literally just adore King Shark so much. Um, yeah, I, I don't really. I, I don't think I can say any more other than yeah, just yummy, yummy. Clarice, there was at least one scene where I wish I was sat next to you <laughs> watching this film. Was uh, it what... rat involving? No, it was Harley Quinn involving. I think uh... you know the one what I mean. But I'm not going to spoil it for the purposes of this podcast. But what did you think of the movie? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I have this thing called my golden tier of comic book movies. (laughs) (laughs) Because I, I am in general, like, not a huge comic book movie fan. We've kind of discussed this on the podcast before. I just enjoy them and then I move on with my life. Um, but there is this like golden tear, <laughs> the, the precious few that I am literally so obsessed with and I think are spectacular. Um, up until now, it was always Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, Birds of Prey, and um, and I'm talking about like newer ones, obviously not Batman Returns, like the new comic book movies, um, and Guardians of the Galaxy. But I think this one has come along and just like gently knocked Guardians <laughs> right <laughs> off that doing uh, Groot's falling from great height. He smushed um, because like this is immediately there. This is immediately like I'm obsessed with it. I just want to rewatch it over and over again. I have like a desperate love for all the characters in this. And that's what's so interesting to me is that I came in very much as a Birds of Prey fan worrying oh my god what is a man gonna do with harley quinn (laughs) just not to say i didn't distrust games james gunn but um you know i was worried and i i think what was so surprising to me is that harley like wasn't even the highlight for me it was there was so much else going on and i'm obsessed with rat catcher 2 now i just think she's like one of my absolute favorite new comic book characters uh, partially because she has such a kind heart, like she's a villain, but she's she's so kind-hearted in the way that she connects to the other characters, like King Shark, and like. But Bloodsport. I think she's not a villain. Uh, if anything, I compare it to to Scott Lang in Ant Man. Yeah, well, she's like within the boundaries of this movie. She's in the Suicide Squad, so she's like a villain. But, yeah. Like, what's so great about all these characters is that I think James Gunn really understood how they were all products of their own like trauma and the way that we explore this in this movie I think is so beautifully done and and the way that it reaches this this emotional climax at the very end that it that is simple but very effective um I think that that makes all the difference to me and then to combine that with 
like all the gore which is fabulous and all the like dick jokes <laughs> and Harley going it's like angels and splooshing all over us like it's great um you to have to have that balance between like the horror and the beauty and the <laughs> sarcasm and the sincerity like that's a really hard balance to maintain and i think the one thing that james gunn is very very good at is maintaining that balance uh and i will also say i i <laughs> my my sort of um long-lasting problem with superhero movies is that they're basically kind of all cops and i like the suicide squad because they're distinctly not cops and <laughs> this movie like is not a subtle political commentary but is a good political commentary yeah. and i like that harley is described as having anti-american fervor and that maybe made me realize why I like her so much. So <laughs> <laughs> it both increased my love for Harley Quinn and it also increased my love for all the other characters in this movie. Mm. Sebastian the rat. I love him. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. just want a rat. I just want a rat. I want a rat. Please, may I have a rat? <laughs> you, you literally have your own place. You can get a rat. It's too small. The rat well, will you not can't like have it. What a rat in a cage! I feel like your room but is you big enough for a cage. Rats. You need two rats because the rat gets lonely. You need two rats. <laughs> between between Avengers <laughs> Endgame and the Suicide Squad, rats are the MVPs of superhero movies lately, and I I am very here for that. Um, it's interesting. Suicide Wait, Squad. Sorry, who's the what's the rat in Endgame? Without the rat doing what it did in Avengers Endgame, Scott Lang wouldn't have come, wouldn't have been able to come back in Avengers Endgame, which oh, means yeah. that. Okay, sorry, I totally forgot that. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> See, rat, Scott Lang, Batcatcher oh, too. And Weasel, Weasel, Weasel. I love, I love Weasel, Weasel. He's so cute. I just want to cuddle him. <laughs> okay, I'm done but, now. I'm sorry. No problem. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, Suicide Squad 2016, after watching that, I was so disappointed because I having sort of been a fan of you know, comics and, you know, uh, animated uh, movies in which, which focus on the Suicide Squad, I know how great of a concept they are. Um, but when James Gunn was hired to do the sequel, I was like, okay, this could be uh, interesting. And uh, to use a phrase, which I'm sure nobody in the history of podcasting, of movie criticism, of anything has ever used before, uh, James Gunn understood the assignment. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's just a really great balance of heart, humor, and action um, that really comes together in the final act. The performances are really, really, really great. I think Edris Elba is fantastic in this um, as, as the lead blood sport. Um, I, I, <laughs> beyond sort of like his, uh, you know, great acting and the relationships that uh, that that character forms with uh, Ratcatcher in particular is really, really good. I just love all the the. I just love his skill set, um, and how they sort of show it on screen. Um, he's got a number of sort of uh, gadgets, uh, which come together to form uh, whatever he wants in the moment, and I thought that was really really cool. Um, and, and you know, it was really really inventive in its action. I I like that James Gunn never loses sight of the fact that these are bad guys who haven't worked together before, and they're just a team that's been thrown together. So even when there's a solid plan in the works. It never goes quite as planned 
in the same way that you'd expect it to if it was a team of heroes working together because these are bad guys. And I like that uh, James Gunn doesn't forget that. And it means that the action is very inventive and innovative and unexpected, um, especially in the way the final act plays out, um, at least to a point. So I, you know, really, really enjoyed it. Suicide Squad 2016, in my opinion, is the worst film in the DCEU. I think The Suicide Squad 2021 is the best film in the DCEU. Um, I love Minus it. Minus Birds of Prey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, put, I, put, I put The Suicide Squad and maybe Wonder Woman and Birds of Prey are neck and neck for me. Um, what? Okay. <laughs> I really want to see Hannah's Hannah's DCEU ranking there. No, I wouldn't say Wonder Woman isn't great, but when you realise what I think Birds of Prey surpasses it, for sure. Is it because the stakes are higher in Wonder Woman and um what's it called? The Suicide Squad? There's nothing to do with stakes. And I'm I I wouldn't be mad at you putting Birds of Prey above Wonder Woman. I know that Wonder Woman has a few issues in the final act that I know the Suicide Squad for sure doesn't, and Birds of Prey I don't think has either. Um, the, the Birds of Prey actually has a really, now that you remind me of it, has a really great um, fight scene. The one, one with the hair clip, um, which, which is really, really great. So so yeah, okay, okay. You've convinced me. The Suicide Squad, Birds of just, Prey, I Wonder Woman. This again, and just to say, like, Wonder Woman starts off with, yay, look at all these women. It's like, bye, see you in the... <laughs> I won't see you again. <laughs> and then that's it. And I think Birds of Prey fundamentally is so... There's more... And that's the thing. That's why Suicide Squad, I would say, is better than Wonder Woman as well because there are more women <laughs> who are actively involved in this plot line than someone who's, like, surrounded. But there we go. Yeah. We're yeah. splitting hairs here. <laughs> so with all of that said, uh, the time has come for screen, stream, or skip. Hannah. Oh, yes. Screen this bad boy. <laughs> Clarice. Screen, but have like, you know, there's like a dog screening where you bring a dog, have a rat screening, and you bring your rat. <laughs> Cinema people are listening to this and be like, no, no, do not listen to what You think I could just go to like those bring your dog screenings without a dog, but I could just like have <laughs> just dogs. bring a rat. <laughs> no, but like, I, the way screening. you, the way you're broody for a rat, I'm broody for a dog. It's I my literally it feels like my ovaries squelch every time I see a dog. <laughs> I mean, Babies? No, thank you. I'm Doggies? very broody yes, for a dog, but um, I know I can't get a dog at the moment, so I think I'm broodier for a rat because it's a more achievable goal. <laughs> File that one under things that only Clarice will say. <laughs> uh, it's a screen for me as well. Find an IMAX. Get into it, watch it, you will not regret it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, just don't confuse it with Suicide Squad in future. Uh, <laughs> so we're going from the Suicide Squad to a movie in which people are desperately trying to stay alive. <laughs> it's Jungle Cruise. My name is Dr. Lily Houghton. My brother and I are looking for passage up river. What's out there in the jungle? It's not a fun vacation. Well, I'm not here for a vacation. Legend has it that there is a tree that possesses unparalleled healing power. It will change medicine forever. And you need someone to help you find it. Here we go. Okay, so I've just collected some of my favorite jokes from <laughs> the original Jungle Cruise ride spiel that I would like to share with you before we dig into this review. I will be quick, don't worry. My favorite one 
I was just going to say, let me just get a couple of snacks and, you know, some some water, just you know, sip on some coffee for a few minutes while Look, you, you get comfortable. This is my <laughs> dream job. When I was a child, I wanted to be a Jungle Cruise skipper. So let me live this fantasy for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you do, you, Clarice. Okay, so imagine we're passing by a tiger animatronic and I go, hey, Bengal tigers can jump over 20 feet and, well, he must be at, while, at least while... 19 feet away so don't worry he'll jump right over us eh? <laughs> we've now turned down the nile river and if you don't believe that you must be in denial eh? <laughs> why is there silence <laughs> i'm ready to laugh babe i'm ready i'm raring to go just give me one that works <laughs> do you know how you can tell that's an african elephant because no. we're in Africa. Because <laughs> we're in Africa! <laughs> we're in Anaheim. <laughs> I tried. I tried. So wonder you never got this dream job, Clarice. I think it's, oh I really God. like puns. <laughs> I love puns. But I think in a way you had to, you have to experience it on the ride, no? Do you not think? It's part of the joy of it. Yeah, and also it's part of it is that the jokes are not funny. It's like an essential part of the experience <laughs> that there's meant to be silence. Okay, good. No one's laughing. Well, we did our role. <laughs> <laughs> to perfection. But this this is Disney's world-famous Jungle Cruise in which Dr. Lily Horton enlists the aid of wisecracking skipper Frank Wolf to take her down the Amazon in his ramshackle boat. Together, they search for an ancient tree that holds the power to heal, a discovery that will change the future of medicine. And dad jokes everywhere. Directed by Helm College Sarah, it stars Dwayne Johnson, Emily Blunt, Edgar Ramirez, Jack Whitehall, Jesse Plemons, and Paul Giamatti. Also doing talking about Italian accents. <laughs> oh, it was Italian he was doing. Father, son, and House of Gucci. <laughs> uh, Amon, what did you think of Disney's Jungle Cruise? <sighs> That's it. No, I'm joking. Um, oh. Yeah, no, Jungle Cruise. It's a frustrating watch because I am starving for the next really great action adventure franchise. I loved The Mummy. Uh, I loved how the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise started. I obviously love Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'm, a, I'm even a fan of National Treasure. And I could Why feel do you say it like even a fan? Because even you know, a fan? <laughs> Why do you have to like add right. that like oh you're yeah I shouldn't I, National I shouldn't. treasure is a national you're, treasure. Yep, you're you're one hundred percent right. I don't know why I did that. Thank you for wow. that, Hannah. You know um, what? <laughs> I'm here. I'm here all times. Check you. <laughs> Appreciate you. Uh, yeah, and I could feel all of those movies in Jungle Cruise, and unfortunately, Jungle Cruise is a movie which is trying to do all of the things that those movies are doing, but not as well. Um, and that's frustrating because I feel like everyone involved, uh, at least in front of the screen, is really uh, trying hard and you know doing, for all intents and purposes, a solid uh, job. You know, uh, Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt um, are two actors who I really like individually, and I think they are solid together here when they're being platonic. I don't think there's any romantic chemistry between them at all. And, you know, after preach, I... Preach, 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 <laughs> preach. I don't need to check you on that. That's absolutely accurate. <laughs> Clarice does not agree. <laughs> I so disagree, but we'll get to that. <laughs> you know, because after I watched this, I, I rewatched The Mummy a, a couple of days ago. And 
you know, in that movie, the romantic chemistry between Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz is so natural and you want them to get together. You hope they get together. You want to see them kiss. Three quarters of the way into the Jungle Cruise movie, I'm like, you know, it could go either way between Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt. They could kiss, I guess, but it's not like I'm actively wanting them to do that. It felt so forced, whereas the mummy romantic chemistry felt so natural. And, you know, I wouldn't, in, in some cases, that's a sort of, you know, a, you know, a harsh comparison because, you know, the mummy, when it comes to romantic chemistry, that is one of the all-time greats. But because it's so obvious that that is one of the big influences of this movie, it's right there for me to make that comparison. It's just a very derivative movie, which just feels like it's taking any perceived risk out of it at all. And just saying, I'm going to pitch this from this franchise and this from this franchise. I'm going to bash it all together and see what and see what works. And it's it's fine. Like you know, Jesse Plemons again, you know, entertains when he can. There's a there's a there's a bit where he breaks out into song out of nowhere and it kind of works um uh, i'm not going to get into the the, the jack whitehallness of it all here because we're going to speak about that later but suffice to say it's not great um and yeah this movie is just fine i wasn't like actively hating it as i was watching it but i was like i want to watch the mummy or national treasure or indiana jones or any of the movies is trying to ape because they do everything that this movie is trying to do just better um and that's a shame Hannah. Uh, it felt like a film that was based on a 1955 theme park ride. <laughs> Very much so. Um, I think the problem with something like this, it's so orientalist um, as a concept originally. It's basically a melting pot of different, you know, animal cultures and from around the world and throw them all in one little river cruise. Um, and I think it tries to, it attempts to kind of nod to that. This is the problem. It's always like, it's so fundamentally a problematic thing that I don't think a modern, like p painting it over with some more progressive ideas can really, it does enough to mask or fill the holes um, that it as a concept can't escape. Um, it's interesting to me that like <laughs> the rock king of cultural ventriloquism, um, you know, his character as we learn it, what it becomes, that's even becomes quite problematic to me and doesn't hold up under scrutiny. Um, it, you know, it's so interesting with the, and I really like Dwayne Johnson. There are so many things I really like him in, but I think we talked about a few weeks ago about like the superhero body and, mm what like masculinity and these massive but and it just whenever I saw him I'm not trying to body shame him but it's set in 1911 he's supposed to play this cat and it just felt like he looked like he would got his costume from Angel's fancy dress the whole time it just didn't it didn't feel realistic to me um I found it for a film that is set in Brazil um the idea that there is maybe like one main Portuguese character um, he was a chief of a local kind of native tribe. And again, there's a really weird kind of joke they're trying to do. It's like, hey, you know, we're going to say there's a stereotype of what these natives really look like. And then they still kind of lean into that <laughs> native kind of ideology, kind of representation. Um, you know, Edgar Ramirez, he's Venezuelan, I believe. But, you know, I, I watched this film and I think, you know, you're talking earlier about chemistry. I just think, God, he's one of the most charismatic actors if I could have seen Edgar Ramirez playing like Skipper Frank, 
against Emily Blunt. Oh my god! I even just <laughs> thinking about it, I just know the like sexual tension would be palpable. I just didn't. I think they were very good friends. You can tell that they really like each other and really get on, and mm -hmm. they're sparring. But it felt like mates. It felt like sparring with your best mate. Um, and so 100%. when it, and so I was actually really caught off guard when it became a romantic thing. I think. You know, for, for, you know, as much as I think Emily Blunt's character is really interesting, I like that she didn't, you know, she didn't, she was progressive enough so that she didn't fall into, pit, you know, the kind of stereotypes of what, you know, a woman, you know, you talk about the mummy, but she, for Rachel Weisz's character is still the kind of, oh, I need rescuing, I'm damsel in distress a bit, pretty much, whereas Luli is not a damsel in distress. But then they basically like, we haven't got enough effeminate energy, let's get Jack Whitehall to do it instead. And, and that, for me, again, it felt like, God, you need to, it's like, you need, it's a tired plotline to have someone who's delicate in the jungle. Mm -hmm. um, and again, yeah, you, Paul Giamatti, I mean, imagine, I mean, I hope he got paid a lot, <laughs> at least, because <laughs> it's wild to me that he was in this film, and I couldn't even, was he playing Italian, Spanish? I think because there was an, it might have been an Italian flag that I got that he was Italian. He was definitely meant to be Italian, wasn't it? And even that like? was so tired again, and it just felt like, I mean, look, what Giamatti, that is, an Italian surname, I believe. So again, but he was really pushing the boundaries of, of um, caricature there. Um, there was just, to, for me, it just looked really CGI heavy. It makes mm. me appreciate when people use practical effects. I could tell when they were running against screen screen, there were too many fake animals. And again, like I know, you know, you can't obviously having real animals, but it relied so much on that, that it was just, yeah, I just did not feel like I was immersed into this world. I felt like I could, I felt like it was like, you know, I was right on the edge and I could see where the, the kind of digital bits were coming, like the seams. I could see the seams, basically. Um, yeah, I just, you know, a couple of funny moments, but I just found it to be utterly tired. And I think, you know, you talk about these older films, this is 2021. Like those films, The Mummy is still pretty problematic, even though I love it. It's still very mm -hmm. problematic. Indiana Jones has its problematic moments. I think mm -hmm. so often when Westerns are dealing with subjects that are based within cultures that is not native to the filmmakers, um, you're just going to fall into this trap trying to be this post kind of post racial, post cultural, let's do a melting pot of everything. And it just becomes just sludge. And I think that's what this film is. And I really recommend anyone who wants to experience a jungle cruise, they watch the 1997 film Anaconda. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I liked this a lot more than you guys. <laughs> I, I think the reference points were sort of the nostalgia for those reference points was really well done, like Romancing the Stone. I love that there was a, a quite direct reference to the um, market chase from Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, where she gets put in the basket, Marion Ravenwood, mm. and running around. I really liked that they had a nod to that. And I think, like, it captures the spirit of those movies, this sort of, like, excitement for discovery. But I absolutely, I absolutely agree with you with this idea of, like, the, the push and pull within this film between, like, progressive and conservative values, it's very, very odd because, like, yeah, they do, they do, there's a really concerted effort to try and avoid certain stereotypes and to try to undermine certain stereotypes, but at the same time, like, the stereotypes is, is still there, and it really is interesting to me as, like, a fan of the ride or, like, a fan of Disneyland 
that the ride at the moment is going through this whole process of trying to update and take away all the stereotypical depictions, which really great question as to why it got to 2021 for them to do that. Because <laughs> Pirates <laughs> of the Caribbean got uh, updated to take out all the misogynistic stuff like years ago and it took them until 2021 to get rid of the racist stuff in jungle cruise what's happening there but you know i that's why i find it so funny it's like there's this parallel narrative between the film and the ride that they don't quite know what to do with themselves because uh you gotta have jungle cruise you gotta keep jungle cruise and you gotta have jungle cruise as a cultural property but like what do we do with it because it was it was created in 1955 and it was you know, Walt Disney didn't actively intend for it to be this, like, racist thing, but because it was 1955 and, like, a lot of white people were quite very racist at that point, like, it it just was a racist thing. Um, I, I will say, did you, I mean, you watched it, but what I watched the film, then I watched that behind the attraction. And yeah. in a way, I'm more forgiving of the origins of it because I understand what they were trying to do. They were trying yeah. to, people can't go to these places, let's bring them all into one place. And I get that. That's the thing, it had pure intentions because they wanted it, Disney was always very intent like on Disneyland being an educational place. Yeah. They just wanted to teach people about these these jungles and the wildlife, but just because it was like we move on. there was racist shit in it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, and so like I liked Trader Sam, as a long story, there there is an animatronic called Trader Sam, which is one of the removed animatronics on the ride because it was very racist. Um, I liked how they updated that character in particular. Um, I I think uh, Veronica Falson, uh, the actress who played her, did a really great job. I liked her kind of like I don't know, she had like a cool like edge to her, like a, a sarcasm, but a kind of like I'm over this energy, which I always appreciate, and I hope that they somehow find a way to put her back in the right. <laughs> Because <laughs> that would be great. Um, and yeah, the only other thing I will say, I thought I thought there was a vibe between Emily Blunt and Dwayne Johnson. This was like <laughs> the horniest I've ever seen Dwayne Johnson in a movie. <laughs> wow. And I've talked to other people and they agree with me. I'm not alone in this. I really liked their chemistry. It was a real like traditional screwball Comedy. I'm sorry, but Dwayne has more chemistry with Vin Diesel. <laughs> that's, that's a fair argument. I will take that. But I think he has a lot of chemistry with Emily Blunt. I really like them together. I liked when he kept calling her lady. I know that's not very feminist of me to say, but I found it hot. <laughs> I apologize. I think they do the have chemistry. But just not in that way. Like I, I've, I've been loving them on the press tour. On the press tour, they've no, been so sexual, fun. sexual. There is nothing. <laughs> I do not see it. I'm. I just. I guess there's just like a, a difference that we're not going to be able yeah. to get over. But I, I just found them very cute together, and I found it mm. romantic. And I'm just. And Jesse Plemons was great too. There we go. I'm done. <laughs> So, uh, I think, yeah, we might have a bit of a divide here, but screen, stream, or skip? Amon. I'm going to say skip. Rewatch The Mummy instead, or even National Treasure. <laughs> Hannah. Skip. Watch Anaconda. It was cruelly, <laughs> cruelly tarnished by critics at the time. Don't know what they're all about. Amazing movie. <laughs> J-Lo, Ice Cube, John Voight. Matthew Vartan, Owen Wilson. Wow. <laughs> wow. 
I, okay, I'm gonna say, if you're like a, 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 a non-parent, <laughs> probably screen, I would say watch it on Disney Plus when it, it comes um, on the service without the premier access payment. Um, but I would say if you are a parent or if you're going with people who can't go see Suicide Squad because they are too young in, <laughs> mm-hmm. I would recommend this as a great alternative. I thought it was really fun despite, you know, such discussed problems <laughs> as there are. <laughs> you know where there are also cruises, but the cruises are like kind of not as fun because you're just very cold on a boat and like maybe you'll see a whale, but you probably won't. Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the location where our next film takes place. Limbo. The film is Limbo. A funny thing happened to Omar on his way to freedom. Hey, you one of the refugees? Yes. Fate took a detour. What's your name, pal? Omar. Right, Omar. Don't pull up shite or, like, rape anyone, right? Okay. Do you want to lift back up to town, pal? Now he's stuck in limbo. What would you do if they let you stay? I would like to wear suit and work in office. I was taking a chance to make life better. I want to play for Chelsea Football Club. Huh. What's a crack? Welcome to Scotland. Um, I just want to confirm that I did a DNA test and I'm actually like 35% Scottish, so I'm allowed to do that. <laughs> I also lived in Scotland for like six years, so I feel like I am allowed to make fun of Scotland a little bit. Okay, Amon. <laughs> just a little bit. Amon, do you have any Scottish connections? Not that I'm aware of. Don't you say a bad word about it then. We will. <laughs> Shush. Well. It's a beautiful place with very kind people and you cannot say anything. <laughs> Vaguely making fun of it. I do love Scotland though. Um, oh, it's a great place. I need to go back. Uh, back to my roots. Find out what my tartan is. <laughs> but anyway, right. Okay, so oh, let me tell you. I'm probably... Anyone who's been following me on social media knows how much I absolutely <laughs> will die for this film, Limbo. Um, I managed to cover it in Empire and do a review, and I actually hosted a Q&A this week with Amira Master and Ben Sherrick. So yeah, I am a shill for Limbo. Uh, so I think we all know what I'm going to be talking about in this, but let me give you, let me lay down the synopsis, the plot, what, what's crack-a-lacking. Um, so this is um, set in a remote Scottish island where a Syrian musician called Omar, played by Amira Masri, um, he has arrived and he's kind of in this purgatorial state, limbo, lol, um, waiting for to see if his asylum status gets confirmed. Um, he's there with several other asylum seekers, most pretty much all of them are men, um, in this very, in a, in a very, um, I don't know, off-kilter community where he, they kind of interact with the locals, uh, get taught a bit about like the customs and it really focuses on the... Um, I don't know, the, the cultural differences and the awkwardness um, and comedy that comes out in these situations, but also dealing with the kind of deep and, deep and melancholy moments of what it's like to leave your country, um, leave your trauma and retain some form of that identity once you suddenly have a refugee label. Um, so it's directed by Scottish filmmaker Ben Sherrock. It's his second feature. It also stars uh, Vikash Bai, Ola Oravii and Kwabane Ansa. Um, so yeah, so let's go. Amon, what did you think of Limbo? 
Well, and, you know, as Clarice said, you know, given that I don't have any Scottish heritage, I, I even if I disliked this movie, I would not be able to say. But luckily, <laughs> uh, I do like this movie quite a bit. Um, I thought it was really, really good. I love how it oscillates between humour and drama. And the humour here is so funny. Um, there's a guy who's obsessed with Freddie Mercury. There is the inclusion of friends and, you know, and, and, and what they do with that is fantastic. And normally I wouldn't uh, say this because I think in a sense, you know, getting any film made is impressive. But this was an impressive feat of filmmaking just given where they were shooting. Um, because as you mentioned, um, Hannah, uh, they were shooting on, a, on a, the, the film takes place in a remote chain of islands in the, in the Outer Hebrides. And, you know, regular filming conditions were described as just below gale force. Um, so to you know, <laughs> to, to make a movie in those conditions is just damn impressive. <laughs> um, but Amir El Masri is fantastic in this movie. I'm really excited to see what uh, he does next. Um, and I just love uh, how the writer director Ben Sharrock he really sort of knows his material because he studied Arabic and politics for his undergraduate degree. And I know this was like a two year writing process to really sort of get specific and go beyond the headlines and statistics and actually sort of, you know, engage with the characters. And I love how he does that in this movie. So yeah, it's, it's a thumbs up for me. I really liked it. Clarice? I'm going to make a comparison that I think you're going to get annoyed or annoyed at me at because it's very on brand. <laughs> <laughs> but it reminded it's... me of Jungle Cruise. <laughs> no, it did not remind me of Jungle Cruise. It did remind me of my favourite movie, Boy by uh, Taika Waititi. Mm. Uh, just because. Why would we be annoyed at that? I love that film. And I think it is a really good brand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I think sometimes it is right, though. The deadpanness of this film feels very yeah. humor wise. Like, there are some really strong links. Yeah, the, the way that the humor is handled and the interlinking of, of tragedy and people sort of just like power thrusting through that tragedy by just like <laughs> suppressing every single emotion and just not trying to think about it like um i thought that was really beautifully handled and there's a whole thing with like fences and spaces and and there's a lot of scenes where it's like people talking over a fence and i i really love the use of space in this movie and the use of space in boy because it's such a simple way of creating a divide wow. between characters and and you'll see it in a bunch of scenes and it's it's just really really clever and and there is a simplicity to limbo that i thought was like really beautiful and really effective and i'm also just a really big advocate for like <laughs> like sort of quirkily shot deadpan humor movies should not belong to rich white people yes which i think there is this like terrible assumption that like you can only do the wes anderson thing and and so i love seeing that style applied to a story about syrian refugees because we don't have to tell every syrian refugee story as some like grounded gritty and every single moment is as depressing as possible because yeah. we're trying to make people care like i hmm. i think this is such a great example of how comedy is as empathetic as drama and yeah. you care as much about these guys and what they're going through by the end as you would if you watched like the grittiest most hard 
pounding documentary on the planet like that's the beauty of comedy and that's why i've always loved it and i think limbo is a great example of that Mm. yeah all of the above i think you know one thing i'd love to talk about and you kind of touch a bit on this um well you kind of both touch it's the the world building of this film is, and you think this is an indie film. And when I said to you about Jungle Cruise made me appreciate people use practical effects. I, mm. I think about, you know, ben, Limbo is one of those films where, I mean, not all effects, but there are moments of surrealism. You know, you're talking about how the way it uses space, the film, but it also, the way it minimizes that space. And it reflects, because it's a very introspective film, it reflects Omar's psyche as he kind of feels not only trapped, but the walls are closing in and we actually see the physical manifestation, you know, his bedroom, it keeps getting well. the way it shifts the aspect ratio. Like there are ways, there are some brilliant, just normal, real visceral filmmaking techniques that are used that doesn't re- rely on a green screen or what, you know, it makes very much bold use of what they had on offer on location, but also through costume choices. You know, you know, I love even the things like the twenty. You know, you said the Friends. There's so many twentieth century references, and I say twentieth because it's supposed to be this time, this place outside of time. You kind of, you can't. It could be, it could be the nineties. It could be the eighties. You know what I mean? It's like you, you get that sense of everything. Time stops here, and therefore it's like you know, it's like the void <laughs> at the end of Loki. It's like everything kind of comes in on itself and. The way they realise this, I think it's really beautiful. I, I just really appreciate it. And, you know, I remember speaking to Ben, he's like, some of the, you know, it, they made sure that the colour palette was taken from the island. So they would use those colours within that. And I think, yeah, that just all adds to it. Um, I think Amir, his ability to hold a camera is just phenomenal his sadness, the what you see. I mean, he's not character doesn't have a crazy amount of dialogue and when he's just it's just so much it's just him witnessing things and taking things on. I think it was a very sympathetic, um uh even a, a kind of like affectionate portrayal of locals. You know, I love there's one minute these kids as call call us call them a terrorist and next they're like, Do you want to lift into town? It's starting to rain. It's like that sort of it it's it just really makes it feel very relatable and that actually there's human beings behind every single person uh, in this film. And, you know, I can only hope that more filmmakers, when they broach the subject of refugees or displaced individuals, um, they focus on these situations rather than the traumatic events um, that so often people don't want to be re-traumatised by. Um, so, yeah, I just... just I just, I'm just so, this. I just can't speak highly, more highly of this movie. Mm-hmm. It is every single star you give it, <laughs> that's all I want you to do. So yeah, I mean, so yeah, I think we all know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, but uh, Clarice. Skip, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> you mean skip all the way to the cinema? Yes, I did that. <laughs> uh, Clarice, screen, stream or skip? Uh, screen, I'm going to see it again this weekend. So. Yay! Okay, yeah. <laughs> if you haven't seen Boy yet, just, you should watch that as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Guilty. Um, Amon? Uh, Amon, wait, sorry, hold on. on. Rewind, oh, freeze frame. Yeah, <laughs> you haven't Why seen Boy? Oh, that makes you, I'm so, you're so lucky that you're going to see it for the first time, Amon. Yes. That's, no, more people should take that attitude when people say they haven't seen stuff. That's absolutely right, Hannah. Thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, screen uh, for me on Limbo. Yeah, uh, loved it. 
Uh, I'm sure it's going to show up in Hannah's top 10 films of the year <laughs> by the sound of it, but yeah. Yeah, I mean that and Rises of Justice. Oh, that film! <laughs> so, uh, that's us wrapped up for the reviews of the week, but now it is time for our hot Ah, I did your bit. <laughs> so, you know, we gotta just swap the roles. We gotta vibe it. Way. We gotta vibe it out. You saw what we were feeling. What we're feeling. Blame so, yeah. Blame it. Blame it. Uh, so, Jungle Cruise features, I guess, what could arguably be called the studio's most concerted effort yet at LGBTQ <laughs> representation in one of its mainstream films. That's as much praise as it's getting. Jack Whitehall's <laughs> McGregor is canonically gay in the film, but people aren't quite celebrating yet. Why? Well, firstly, he's kind of written to be a spoiled, effete stereotype who's scared by every leaf and creature in the jungle and drags around monogram printed suitcases filled with outfit options and toiletries. Secondly, he does have a coming out scene, but he never actually says the word gay and people aren't particularly happy about that. He instead refers to calling off three engagements with women as his interests happily lay elsewhere. I was trying to do the like posh British man <laughs> accent. <laughs> so what is going on here? Is this another LeFou exclusively gay moment glad reported last year that only 22.7 percent of the 44 major films studied by by uh the glad featured lgbtq characters there also wasn't a single instance of trans or non-binary representation and although the pandemic prevented them from really having detailed numbers on this they have stated that disney has the weakest track record when it comes to lgbtq representation what's up with that mickey what's the deal mickey oh boy oh boy <laughs> not boy oh boy just oh boy oh boy and girl <laughs> so who 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 wants to contribute to this discussion first because we have so much to dig into i mean i just i think ultimately the only actor who should be playing a significant openly gay character is an openly gay actor I find it somewhat <laughs> tedious uh, that, I mean, Jack Whitehall for him, I mean, whatever, he's playing slightly, he's playing himself, but a very much more effeminate version of himself. But I don't think it screams inclusion when you're getting a straight guy to basically play a, a, a guy gay. I mean, the thing is, his interest lies elsewhere. He could be asexual. <laughs> his interest could be, like, what else? He could be a paedophile. Like, I'm sorry, but, like, unless you're going to specifically say it, <laughs> say the word and say, what, where do your interests lie? Again, it's just, it's curtailing to conservative viewers and the religious, uh, I suppose, what are they? I don't know, what would you call them? the The re religious... Evangelist. Evangelist community. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. And I just, you know, I, I'm so bored of this conversation. I'm so bored. Just... Like the same with like Luca, you know, it felt very much like I told you some kid, like a little girl shouted out kiss when it was Luca and his best friend. Like mm -hmm. it just, just either do it or don't do it. That's what I'm going to say. Like just own it, own it. And then people can make their own decisions whether they do it. I'm just bored of this. Um, this just pandering and not actually fully committed and going in it and also actually give op openly gay actors a chance to play these roles if they're so meaningful. Um, let them have a chance because I think you know again there is a prejudice there about it and also I just again I, I said in my interview before uh, interview review before 
it feels like you're just filling the gap. You're just basically use this character to fill the role of the delicate the delicate individual in a jungle. And that just perpetuates these ridiculous stereotypes of what it means to be a gay person. Yeah, bored is the word. And we've seen Disney do this time and time and time again. And we discuss it time and time again. And nothing changes. It feels like Disney sort of want all the plaudits without doing the work and it's really really frustrating um i've just been thinking about what it's going to take to have meaningful representation um in this arena and i think it's really it's going to take a director who has the clout and the power to say no when all the disney sort of you know uh the the guys at the top sort of, you know, come down and, you know, and try and sort of minimize uh, a sequence and say, no, we, we, we are actually going to do this and we're going to follow through on this. Because otherwise, I mean, there's so many instances I can just count off the top of my head um, from Star Wars to even, you know, Black Panther, where we, where we were either meant to have a scene and it gets cut out or the scene that we do get is so, you know, nothing that it doesn't leave any impact whatsoever. And now we've got to add Jungle Cruise to that list. It's just a damn shame. Um, and I hope that sooner rather than later, some director comes along and just says, no, we're going to do this. And we're going to make it meaningful. And it's going to leave an impact. Because um, otherwise, we're just going to find ourselves here every few months repeating exactly this over and over and over again, as we have been for the past few years. And again, that's just a damn shame. Yeah, because it's like, like the, the one piece of empathy that I have for Disney is like, I get it. Like, because it's a family studio, the conservatives are always like hyper watching for any sign of deviance and that Fox News will say ban this filth. Like, But all they're doing is just perpetuating that narrative. Exactly. You said family, it's so annoying. It's like, there are get loads of gay families. Like, it just really, ups- that's really upsetting that it's like still... That's why I don't have sympathy for them because they're choosing. They're choosing to 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 uh, to support one narrative, a, yeah. a hateful narrative, uh, than actually thinking. I don't know. Yeah, it's more the thing that they they're very conscious that there'll be a massive backlash. But like, fine, fine, just take do it. Do it. Like you're you a got billion to... dollar corporation. <laughs> this is really the thing. What would would it be much easier to do this like? tiptoeing where i can guarantee some conservative commentator in the next week is going to tweet about jungle cruise and say like i'm not taking my children to see this because the character's gay when it's like well they even did the bare minimum in that movie Mm -hmm. like you know they're gonna you know there's gonna be a backlash so just push through it push through it and then we get to a better place just have the movie that has the like canonically (laughs) gay character played by a gay actor who gets to actually be like a great symbol of representation and people get to see themselves on screen just do it and then it'll get better from there and then you won't have to worry about the backlash so much because every movie will have lgbtq representation and the conservatives little heads will explode because they won't be able to handle all the lgbtq-ness in their eyes their eyes will melt their faces will melt like in raiders of the lost ark (laughs) (laughs) so like that's the thing i i I know why they're not doing it it's because they're scared of this but like you just got you just gotta push through it disney (laughs) like you can't it's gonna require some Somebody's going to have to take the first step and actually exactly. do it. Exactly. 
I just gotta imagine how many gay people work for Disney, work for that company. LGBTQ people work there, and then you know who even work on those films, work on the films. You know, are in and also execs, and it's the idea that like you have to work for a company, like, and I suppose this is in everything, but again, this this company that's supposed to be like, hey, look how progressive we are. We're moving into the 21st century and mm-hmm. not even be able to explicitly say, or even just in a mainstream thing, because they've got a little short films, haven't they? They've got the little short films on Disney+. Plus. They've got little snippets. Mm. And the TV shows. The yeah, TV exactly. Shows, yeah. They've got, what's it called? It's like most, I just don't think people, especially when people buy consumers, I don't think people care. I don't think people care whether the character is a gay character or not because it should, it's so, I feel that fundamental, you know, there's so, it's like why people bought tickets to see Wonder Woman, you know, you know, or Captain Marvel or Black Panther and stuff. People often just want a good, just want a decent bit of entertainment. And I think it's, again, this loud minority who are dictating the terms. Um, and I'm, I'm just, but I'm just yeah again, just fed up with it, and just have some courage of your convictions, or just stop, <laughs> or just say we don't believe in that, and then we can choose to take our custom elsewhere. Because if you're not a company that doesn't believe in LGBTQ rights, then you're not a company that I want to support. <laughs> but this is the this is an interesting contrast to bring in my like Disney Parks knowledge. Like there, they mm-hmm. they changed the rules recently so that like. Um, basically there's no gendered dress you can if you can just wear whatever you want it's not like you are a man must wear trousers you are a woman must wear skirt you just get to wear what you want get to have nail polish get to express your sexuality uh and your gender as as you see as as you see it (laughs) yeah as is your sexuality and gender they sell pride merch like it's just very interesting that like Again, it's like we said with the jump, the the push and pull. Like they obviously want to be having this representation, but they're making decisions out of fear, yeah. and fear is not good. Fear is not how you should live your life. Like fear is the mind killer. Some would say. Oh my God. fear is the mind killer. <laughs> Put your hand in the pain box. <laughs> the concert- Fox News is the pain box. You're Timothy Chalamet. You just gotta put your hand in there and get it fucking over with. I just, I find it just, just you know, I think someone tweeted as well, like a picture of these, like you said, Pride merchandise and these like L- rainbow socks. Stop profiting off inclusion if that is not fundamentally, uh, if that doesn't fundamentally manifest in every aspect of your business. You cannot pick and choose where you decide what inclusion is when you are the Disney brand as a whole. Like that for me, I just, it's just so distasteful. Um, I just, I, I just can't, I just, it's just, it's the performance, it's a performativeness of it. It's when people kind of Black Lives Matter, it's like, oh, or Black History Month, that's the only time they care about talking about black people. Like, oh yeah, here you go, here's your special little sprinkle on that. It's like, they treat inclusions like a fad. And it's only good mm. to them if they can, this is a capitalist regime that we're in, but it's, it's only the only time they care about these things if it's beneficial to them. It's like, the mm. only reason they've started having more black-led or whatever diverse films because suddenly Black Panther did work. It's like, oh, well, look, it sells, it funds on seats. Like, it's just every aspect, whether it's like race or gender or like disability or anything like that, it's only about the bottom line. <laughs> and... And I just what I find so interesting is time and time again we've proven 
uh, with data as hard facts and statistics that inclusion is be better value for money. You get more bang for your buck and they do better if you have that representation. And I just, uh, I, I, I feel like, is it, are we just going to have to wait until these old crusty execs die <laughs> and they can just piss <laughs> off so that new blood can come in and actually change things up? Or are we dealing with the same, are we still having like the next generation of people just don't give a shit about that? Is it just gatekeepers? I don't know. There's so, I mean, Disney's massive. I don't I really know the ins and outs of it, but, oh God. Oh, we've had this, it's, just, it's like, Amon, you said, we've had this conversation so many times. Mm -hmm. I'm fed up. Because it's just, yeah. they keep tiptoeing. It's like the next thing, be like, oh, well, this character says they're gay, but they whispered it really quietly, so actually you can't really hear it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gay. Just by the way, I'm gay. Just I just want to let you know. Like, just, Disney, just if it. you're listening, say the word gay in your movies and let's pay ScarJo yeah. her money. Because <laughs> I do think, like, at least with this Jack Whitehall character, like, with all the flaws of that character, like, it's starting to get somewhere. Because you do have a character that. But you what know, was that audience... thing you sent to us, Amon? Someone saying that in the original, uh, they had to do a load of audio redubs because he was yeah. so over the top gay that they had to say, "This is too far. You need to pull that back." And it's wild to me to think that that is the less effeminate version of what Jack Whitehall originally mm. did. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but I just, I just, I don't understand the tiptoe version versus just like, just, just fucking pull the bandaid off and Fox News will be very mad at you for two months, but then like, you'll still make a shit ton of money and then you can just continue having representation and it's not gonna, nothing bad's gonna happen. <sighs> anyway, don't see Jungle Chris. <laughs> <laughs> unless you're Clarice unless unless on this podcast you relate most to Clarice's uh, reviews then you know do what she says <laughs> I still want to go on the Jungle Cruise ride and that's basically because of Clarice uh, I want to so check that out fun. Well, it's more uh, fun but... now that they took out all the racist stuff <laughs> that helps that definitely, definitely helps, helps. So, thanks for tuning in, and happy viewing via whatever medium is the safest for you. Do subscribe, rate, and leave us a review if you love the podcast. If you don't love the podcast, just keep quiet. <laughs> Please. Shush. We and don't want us. to know. <laughs> so keep it to yourself. And tweet us if you have something you'd love for us to shout out next week. Send me your favorite, if you like the Jungle Cruise ride, send me your favorite Jungle Cruise joke. I really want to hear it. Use the hashtag, <laughs> uh, hashtag Fade to Black Pod, and you can follow us at uh, I'm at Clarice Lou on Twitter or Clarice Lockery on Instagram. I'm at Amon Woman on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Hannah Flint on Twitter and at Hannah Ines Flint on Instagram. And do not send me anything about Jungle Cruise. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Farewell, film friends, and now it's time to fade to the backside of water. Hey, it's the eighth wonder of the world. <laughs> I would say watch Jungle Cruise to get it, but maybe just Google it. <laughs> just what? Look, there are ride throughs on YouTube. You can watch it on there, and you can enjoy the jokes. There's some really this talented. This is the longest skippers. outro ever. <laughs> I'm sorry. Gonna do it again. Give us a final fade. Farewell, film friends. <laughs> okay, it's time to actually now fade to black. Mm -hmm.